Does that video get you excited or what? Now, come on, don't lie. For, for a lot of you, th those videos are just so churchy, insider. I mean, they, they kind of feel nice in a church building, but they really don't do much for you, right? I mean, there's probably a good number of you watching right now who you, you want to feel fired up after a video like that plays, but, but for whatever reason, it just, it just doesn't seem to do anything for you. You're actually far more inspired, far more excited after watching, I don't know, like an inspirational video from like The Rock that you happen to scroll across on Facebook. But, but why is that? Why does it seem like, like we so often have to manufacture energy or excitement for God? Maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh, so let me just speak from personal experience. How is it possible that, that, that we can play a video like that? And then maybe we go right into singing, right, right into worshiping our creator. And oftentimes I, I glance around the room and and most people are just kind of blankly staring at the stage, see, seemingly completely unmoved by what's happening. And I'm honest, most people just like downright uncomfortable. Like you would gladly slip me a $100 bill just to be able to leave right then. Or, or, or why is it, and I promise I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody here this morning, that, that after the message plays online, we, we see viewership just fall off a cliff. Uh, about 50% of the people who were watching the message don't continue watching and participate in worship. That, that, that when we do our annual churchwide survey and, and we ask people what makes them the most uncomfortable at church on a Sunday morning, singing, worshiping God always tops the list. Even for those people who have been attending church for an extended period of time. Now, now we could probably point to a lot of different re reasons why this is the case, but, but it's questions like these that are the reason we're doing this series right now. I love you. I, I'm telling you, and I take a lot of responsibility. I take a lot of ownership of this. I, I don't feel that we have done a good enough job just teaching you about who God is. Be, be, because here's the real heart behind all of this. The, the, the better you understand God that the better you understand Jesus, that the more you will inevitably want to get to know him. As you better understand who God is, you will not be able to help yourself from falling in love with him. See, when I first met my wife, and I have a picture of her right here uh, next to that homely looking guy, but I mean, I know, just an absolute smoke show, right? When I first met her, that, that's about all that was honestly going through my mind. That there is an attractive young woman, and based on her looks and the fact that she doesn't appear to be a total grump, I would like to get to know her better. Then, after some short conversation and seeing that she had a fun, joyful, beautiful, attractive personality to go along with that rock and bod, it was safe to say that I liked Andrea. But, but the more and more that I got to know her, as we had more conversation, as we spent more time together, as her deeper character and personality was revealed, I, I couldn't help myself. I, I didn't just like Andrea. I, I loved her. Every day as I get to know my gorgeous wife even more, I, I fall even more in love with her. It, it's impossible for me to not just look at her and say the words, Andrea, I love you. When you were first introduced to Jesus and there's probably a decent chance that introduction came through the local church, maybe even right here at Grumlaw, right at Venture, and, 
And, and you walked through the doors, and because every other experience with, with, with church had been a bit, I don't know, stuffy, boring, maybe stale, you, you thought, I don't know, this, this just seems a little bit more attractive. And, and because the people, at least most of them, didn't seem like total grumps, you thought to yourself, you know what, I, I'd like to get to know this place better. Maybe even get to know this Jesus guy a little better. And after a couple Sundays of watching online or showing up in person, you realized, oh my gosh, I like church. I mean, you, you can't believe you're actually admitting it, but, but you know it's true. You actually like it. But, but for a lot of you, come on, I, I know I'm kind of twisting the knife here a little bit. You're still stuck right there. You like church. It, it seems to add some value to your life. Your, your kids even seem to enjoy it, but that's it. You have not invested enough into your actual relationship with Jesus. You haven't gotten to know him on a personal enough level where you can't help yourself from just looking to the heavens and uttering these words, I love you. So our goal here over the four weeks of this series is that you better understand who God is. You better understand who Jesus is, who is God in the flesh. And as you get to know him better, You'll only want to know him more, and eventually, you won't be able to keep yourself from falling in love with him. Now, a very quick kind of sidebar asterisk to what I just said. A four-week series on the character of God is not going to accomplish what I just laid out. It's certainly a step in the right direction. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit will move, and it'll spark your curiosity, but ultimately, this does lie with you. Our prayer is that this series will help you to better understand God, and that will then move you to begin to develop a more personal relationship with him, where every single day you begin to set aside time to just talk to him, share honest thoughts. I mean, that's all that prayer is, and and open up this book that we call the Bible to allow it to speak to you so, so that you can better understand who God is. Let's bring this illustration full circle. My relationship with Andrea and subsequently my love and adoration for her has not been built upon a weekly, one-way, hour-long conversation. It has actually been built over a rather lengthy period of time with daily investment, daily conversation, and the same will hold true for your relationship with Jesus. So these Sundays mornings, they they are certainly a start, but you're not falling in love with God just because you decided to listen to four sermons on his character. So so week number one, we talked about his trueness. Uh, Last week, Jason did an incredible job speaking of his faithfulness. Uh, By the way, if you missed those first two two weeks of this series, I cannot encourage you enough. I I think these are really, really, really important messages. Please go to grumlaw.com slash messages. Catch yourself up there. You can listen to the messages there. You can watch the messages there. Uh, Or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. Uh, Today, We're going to be speaking about a quality that only God truly possesses. And it's so frequently thrown around in places like this. An oft misunderstood term, holy. Holy. Now, now, a quick disclaimer. Holy is certainly an apt word to describe God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But but for the context of our conversation here today, I'm going to be largely referencing and referring to God the Father. Now, that's really, really important to note because by the end of the day, you might actually think to yourself, 
I'm not sure I want to get any closer to God. This actually seems really, really intimidating. Again, this is describing God the Father largely here today. Each distinct member of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, has distinct attributes that that manifest themselves in very distinct, different ways. So more on that here near the end. But back to our word here, holy. I dare you to find a single church service where this word isn't used at least a handful of times. It would seem that every worship song must contain this word or isn't even considered Christian. But, but do all of us have a grasp, not only on, on what this word means, but, but who it is describing, our, our holy God? The, the implications even of that phrase, holy God? Holy in its simplest of terms and, and literally translated means set apart. Separate, sacred, without equal. But but this happens to be one of those words that when we attempt to define it, it it actually has the ability to lose its meaning, to lose its power. Uh, For for instance, we could look at the definition of the word holy and, and we could begin to attach it and associate it with other areas of life in an effort to gain a better understanding. As an example, uh, we had the college football national championship this past Monday where, where Ohio State got absolutely steamrolled by Alabama. You can rest assured I wasn't shedding a tear for that. And, and a big reason they got crushed were because of the efforts of this bad man right here, Devontae Smith. I mean, he put on an absolute clinic, 12 receptions, 215 yards, three touchdowns, and he hardly even played in the second half. Now, now when you compare the skills of a wide receiver like this, Devontae Smith, to a person of, let's just say, average athletic ability, such as myself, we we would say, right, it's not even close, right? And and if we took the definition of holy, we we could reasonably say that Devontae Smith is actually more than just a wide receiver, right? He's actually like a holy receiver. I mean, he's on another level. He is without equal at his craft, at least in the college game. But, but this is what I mean when we have the ability to shortchange the word holy when we begin to define it. The, the, the word holy is provided to us so that we may better understand the gap between us, creation, and God, the creator. And the gap and the margin, it isn't like the gap between our football catching skills and Devontae Smith's. It is so much greater. Holiness is so much more than righteousness and ethical purity, doing the right things. Yes, that is certainly part of it. But, but, but if that is where we limit holiness, we're shortchanging the word and in turn, we're shortchanging God himself. Yes, he is set apart from what is common. He, he is different. He is unique in comparison to the world, in comparison to us. But, but his holiness is actually a function of his transcendence. The, the, the holiness of God refers to the absolute moral purity of God and the absolute moral distance between God and human beings. See, when we better understand God's holiness, it makes the redemptive work of Christ on the cross that much more rich, that much more breathtaking. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, one of the fairly co- common questions that I'll receive as, as a pastor in one form or another is, is why is sin so problematic for God? I mean, seriously, what's the big deal about sin? And, and if you've asked that question, I, I'm certainly not faulting people for asking it. But, but, but this question does reveal a fundamental misunderstanding of God's holiness. God is so pure. He is so without fault. He is so otherworldly. He is so blameless. He is so perfect that he cannot be near sin. It, it is so 
opposite of who he is. You could say it this way, sin is the antithesis of his very nature, of his holiness. His holiness, it completely saturates his entire being. His holiness epitomizes his moral perfection and his absolute freedom from blemish of any kind. God's not only holy, perfectly good, he is the very source and standard of goodness. In that regard, goodness has a permanence to it precisely because it is rooted in the eternal and the everlasting God. Goodness does not change because God does not change. Furthermore, God hates and he loathes sin because it separates him from his most prized creation, you and I which is why he went to such great lengths to fix that sin problem that we all suffer from. And and he sent his son so that we might have that opportunity to mend that relationship with him. I mean, think about that. The morally pure, holy God created a solution for his amoral creation, even though we are the ones who screwed things up. There are a lot of attributes and characteristics that help to describe and define God, but but his holiness, that is his predominant attribute. In in Jewish liturgy, if something's really, really important, it's mentioned twice. We actually see this all throughout the book that we call the Bible, all throughout scripture, where the writer actually writes a word twice, things like truly, truly, or instances where God repeats a person's name twice, like Saul, Saul, or Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses. This is being done to convey both importance as well as intimacy. But when something is mentioned three times in a row, it is the greatest emphasis that can be placed on anything or anyone. Anybody watching right now want to take a stab at the only attribute of God that is repeated three times in all of Scripture? You probably guessed right. Holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the most important thing about God. More than anything else, he is holy, holy, holy. When we look at the handful of occasions throughout Scripture where people come face to face with the living God, God the Father, we get an idea of just how big that gap is between us and him, between creator and creation, how holy, how set apart he really is. These aren't these joyous occasions where they go running up to God and they give him a big hug. In fact, every occasion it holds this common thread. The person basically collapses into a ball and looks the other way. They're terrified to even look in the direction of God. There's one particular occasion where Moses, he, he, he encounters God through a burning bush. It's this bush that just keeps burning, 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 but yet the bush isn't burning up. And so naturally that grabs his curiosity. And so he goes in to take a closer look. And wouldn't you know it, God begins to speak directly to him through this burning bush. I mean, think of how exciting this must have been for Moses to be able to speak to God himself. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, when Moses had gone to look at this burning bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. There we see those two times conveying importance and intimacy. And Moses said, here I am. But God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. 
the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Uh, Afraid because he at least had some understanding of just how holy God is. Later on in the book of Exodus, uh, that these type of interactions between God and Moses have become a little bit more commonplace. And you can tell that that relationship between God and Moses is continuing to develop. And, and, and we're further reminded in the 33rd chapter of, uh, of this gap between God and people. It, it says, then Moses said, now show me all your glory. And, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, and it's almost like he's saying time out. Moses, remember who you are talking to. Remember whose presence you stand in right now. You cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. God's holiness is purity. The the, the difference between us and him is so great that if we, we were even to lay our eyes on him, we would die. In in the book of Revelation, we're we're painted a picture of seraphim, uh, or the highest ranking of angels. I know this is getting into kind of weird territory for some of you watching right now. And and we're told how they spend their time each and every day. It, It says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, all they do, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We will learn later on in, in Revelation that the sole purpose of four of those six wings were two to cover their eyes so they couldn't look at God and two to cover their feet because they were standing on holy ground. God is so holy, too holy for even the angels and the highest ranking of angels to even look at. With your head hopefully spinning at least a little bit, with maybe prayerfully at least a better, slightly better understanding of God's holiness. I'd like all of us right now to just take a little bit of time and read to ourselves this passage that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. And I'm begging you, wherever you're watching from right now, please don't go wander off. Don't go refill your coffee. Don't pull out your phone and begin to zone out. Will you please read this right now? Just read this to yourself. We're gonna give you a couple minutes. We're gonna throw it up on the screen. Read this here so we can be reminded of who we gather to worship here every single Sunday, who we have the privilege of entering into a personal relationship with. So we're going to give you a couple minutes right now to read this passage of Scripture, keeping in mind the holiness of the living God. Thank you. 
that's who we're talking about. That is who we are singing to. That's who we're talking to when we pray. When we utter the word God, this is who we are speaking of. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged. They begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I I am trembling, melting with fear. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When you pray, when you say that word God, is this what comes to your mind? God isn't this slightly improved, better version of you. He he cannot be touched. He is a consuming fire. When you spend time with God each day and you start praying and are you nice and cozy on your love seat with your coffee in your hand and a throw blanket on your lap? Or, or are you on your knees with your face to the ground, remembering the holiness of the living almighty God, the blazing fire whom even the angels hide their eyes from? When the music comes on and we start singing to him, is this what comes to your mind? I'm about to come before the storm, the tempest, this blazing fire. I'm coming before the living, breathing, holy God. Or or do we just start kind of like mumbling some words like, I want to touch you. I want to see your face. The the hearers back in Moses' day didn't want to touch him. They didn't want to see his face. They were begging not to see him. They were begging not to hear his voice. They were like, Moses, you get up there. You go talk to him. We can't handle it. His very voice made the people beg, no more, no more, no more messages. This God is too much. Are you picturing that consuming fire, this most holy God? Are you approaching him with the reverence that he deserves? Scripture tells us that when Jesus himself prayed to God the Father, he was heard because of his reverence, because of his understanding, his respect for his holiness. I mean, I think to myself, you would think Jesus would have been heard because he's Jesus. But no, he was heard because of his reverence for the Father. When we better understand his holiness, who we're gathering here to talk about, who we're gathering here to worship, pray to, we stop asking questions like, how long is this service going to be anyway? We're seriously singing another song. Who's preaching today? That young guy, he's the worst. It it, it is an honor, an honor that we get to come before God, that that we are even allowed in his presence, that, that, that we're allowed to gather together to worship him. And, And I'm convinced that it's not until we better understand who we're talking to 
how holy, how set apart God is, how big he is and how little we are, that we're gonna see a God-shaped movement through this church. For all you watching right now, I, I don't expect this to make complete sense. I certainly don't expect a 30-minute message on holiness to get you to a place where you feel like you completely understand God's holiness because, in fact, you never will. And, and when we think about it, isn't that actually a good thing? God's not this slightly bigger, slightly smarter, slightly improved version of you. If that was the case and you could completely explain him, he wouldn't be worthy of our praise. He wouldn't be worthy of our worship. You wouldn't keep coming back to him if you could completely understand him. You would get bored with him. More than anything else, it is his holiness that makes him worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our love. As I seek to better understand just how big God is and how small I am, it is impossible for me to not fall to my knees and just utter the words, I love you. And if you're watching here today and this message actually makes God seem even less approachable to you than you thought before the message began, I'm begging you, please do not miss the conclusion to this series next week.